0: Welcome to the BrainPAL podcast, we're on a mission to improve the world through neuroscience. This is your host, Devin Rowe, and today I'm meeting with Urian Schroeder. Urian is a PhD student in brain and cognition at University of Amsterdam, where he is also completing a postdoc in cellular biology and computational neuroscience. Quite the combination, huh? He also runs Keksu, a tech company focused on applied computer vision. They have a wearable eye tracker called OpenEye, which can be used to measure where people's attention visually is going their eye trackers can measure useful metrics like gaze attention how long your gaze was on something time to focus how long it took you to notice something in the environment and they can also generate heat maps that measure and display what people are looking at most in an environment i was very excited to speak with Yurian because in many ways he's a bit of a renaissance man not only does he have a very deep knowledge of neuroscience and cognitive science but he's also applying that knowledge to the real world and creating success for himself in doing so and those are often the people i want to speak with the most People applying neuroscience to real life because one of the missions of this podcast is to create more good publicity for neuroscience and also both show and tell people how they can apply neuroscience to real life now that's it let's start the show all right, Yuri, I'm really excited for this so to start let's start with a brief background of your early life uh, were you always interested in the brain and understanding how people work and behavior and stuff like that
1: well actually when I was uh, in high school I wanted to study artificial intelligence and then I read in the, but that was really a long time ago. There there was almost no artificial intelligence yet. And then I read in a newspaper that uh, the university study of artificial intelligence, only uh, 10% of the people got their exam. So I thought, no, I'm not going to take that risk. I'm not such a good student. So uh, I'm just going to, uh, so I thought, okay, what is the study artificial intelligence it's a little bit psychology and it's a little bit uh, learning how to program. And I thought, okay, programming, I already kind of know, and I can kind of teach it myself. And yes. psychology is a uh, kind of an easier uh, university degree. And uh, then I'm sure, like, even with my uh, attitude at that time as a teenager, that I was gonna complete the study. Yeah. So then I studied psychology and I started working uh, two days a week as a software developer first, uh, making Android and iOS apps and unity and then more backends and then slowly more the, advanced. The
0: question, sorry to interrupt. So you say you weren't a good student, but you've gone on to get your PhD and your postdoc. So did you become a better student as you matured or what?
1: Actually, yeah, there was, there was a dip when I was uh, around 16, when I, when uh, I yeah. was, uh, when I was, uh, 12 to 15, I was a really good student. Then <laughs> when I hit puberty there was a really bad student. I uh, thought, oh I'm just gonna pick a an easy study. And then um then uh later in the university I was really one of the highest in my class and uh, I've got uh I think maybe the highest grade for my uh thesis out of about five hundred students. So after so uh yeah, the, the first year of my university, I wasn't so uh, motivated, but yes. afterwards I got back into like, uh, all the, all the, all the weird, crazy partying as teenager went away and, uh, I became interested in, uh, boring school stuff and brain stuff and that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: I see. So then one more question on that, uh, well two, so you started undergrad or the uh, Dutch equivalent undergrad at about age 18, is that correct? Uh, uh, yeah, 19. Yeah. I see. Okay. So as an adult, and then what would you say changed? Do you think it was just, just the hormones or something changed and you were able to get yourself under control or did you uh, have some experiences that made you say, Hey, I've, I should really start, uh, focusing. Yeah, more I on think cool.
1: so. Now I'm not, now I'm not scared anymore to be a nerd and to read yeah. books. But when I was 16, I was like, no, it's not cool to have your backpack to school. Yeah. So I never took my books to school, and I always got into, always had a big mouth against uh, teachers, and I always got in trouble, and I was always expelled. And, and then uh, later, uh, later I was uh, right. Right now, I have a problem that I buy too many books, and uh, more that oh. kind of problem. <laughs> <Sure>.
0: <laughs> I see. So would you say it might have had something? I don't want to spend too much time on this, but now I'm really interested. Would you say this had something to do with like your peers or the people around you uh, like in the do they call it gymnasium like in German in, in Dutch what do they call that high school in 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 the Netherlands
1: yeah it was just I uh, at that time I wanted to be cool and school was not cool so uh being bad at school was and not doing your homework was cool and uh not knowing when the tests were was cool and yeah. then when I got a little bit older it was more was, uh, knowing a lot about stuff was, uh, cool and, uh, being one of the smarter people and, uh, being ambitious and, uh, having a good job and that kind
0: of stuff becomes more important later. I see. And then going back to your development jobs, can you, uh, go on about that? My, my, uh, sorry, man. Uh, your development job, you were, uh, you said you were doing some Android development, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. My development. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I also... I, I had, uh, I, I, made Android apps when, just when Android uh, first came out and that was really a time when, uh, you could create a fart pillow app and then, uh, get 1 million downloads oh, and yeah. they would pay 80 cents for that. Hmm. So uh, that was, I was a little bit later than that, yeah. but, uh, I had in total more than a million downloads. I was making, uh, 1800 euros a month for my own apps. Well, and, uh, the app that made the most money, I actually made that in four hours, so really? that was really nice, uh, time to be an app developer. And, then oh, yeah. someone heard that I, uh, I could make apps and then they hired me at a software company and, I see. uh, then I, uh, could experience, get a little bit of experience in, uh,
0: software development. So around when was this, when you were creating these apps, this sounds like it had to be like 2008,
1: 2009, 2010, or yeah, I, I had, uh, i made apps for the first Samsung. It was a Samsung S really <laughs> without a number. You don't, just... even, you don't look that old. <laughs> no, I'm not uh, 38 years old. Really?
0: Well, you, I, I didn't even think you were that old. I thought you had to be like your <laughs> early thirties. No, I'm really old. Like, you're doing something right. Okay. So that's interesting. So, uh, you in your youth, or I guess, as you were getting, deciding when you your college major, you had some interest in AI and then you decided that, uh, psychology might be a good route. Uh, and then you get into this development. Did you always have some interest in like business and entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, so basically all my life, I wanted to have my own company and I wanted to do artificial intelligence. So it's, uh, I think that makes it easier, I guess, if you, uh, if you just stay on the same uh, path for a really long time. Yes. Because uh, if you change direction all the time, then it's uh, every time you have to start again from scratch. And uh, and yeah, for me, it was like I always wanted to do that. I was always very interested in it. And then uh, at the university, I did, uh, I did, at the university psychology, I did connectionism. And uh, that, subject was really my favorite subject. Then I learned about neurons and uh, creating artificial neurons. Mm. And in that subject, they showed me how a Hopefield network could solve the Queen's problem. Mm. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know what the Queen's problem is, is uh, putting as many Queens on a chessboard, Mm. without them being able to uh, take each other. Mm. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I So any, any path the queen can take is a path another queen cannot, uh, take. So actually what you do is make all the other, uh, squares, you make them neurons and you make the, the connection to them inhibitory. So Mm. then in a Hopfield network, they say like, okay, that place is a bad place to put another queen. And I thought, Hey, in that same way, you could solve a Sudoku puzzle. So hmm. then, uh, uh, the next lesson, actually, I got to the teacher and said, "Hey, told, remember you told me about the queen's problem? I made a Hopfield network that can solve Sudoku puzzles." And uh, after that, he said, "You are the best student that I ever had in my whole career as a as a neural network uh, teacher." So then we uh, really became really friends. And- and uh, too bad uh, Sudoku solver is not online anymore because it was made in, uh, Flash in uh, well, well. and <laughs> extra and, uh, yeah, that's r- even that old. You don't look, that <laughs> <easy>. <laughs> and si- yeah, since, uh, since two years, it stopped working. Yeah. So now I have to create a new one in JavaScript. So I still, uh, cause it's still, uh, still used in the same, uh, in the same class to explain what a Hopfield network is. So mm-hmm. still use it. And now actually I teach the, one of the class in that subject. So, uh. Uh, yeah, so that that's really, uh, one of my favorite things is, is, uh, building neural networks and kind of, uh, uh, simulating the brain and, uh, building that kind of stuff.
0: I see. Okay. And then before we move on to, uh, your education a little bit more, did you always have like some interests or well, what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, what was it that got you interested in entrepreneurship? Was it, do you think it was natural or did you have, uh, were your parents entrepreneurs or were there entrepreneurs you knew and you were like, wow, I want to do that.
1: Um, yeah, of course, it was also a little bit because I was making apps. So then I was always mm-hmm. making a little bit of money with my own company. So yes. you have to have some kind of uh, legal entity to get paid from that app. So I basically already had a company from a very young age, but I always also just, so I also sold t-shirts and, uh, yeah, I always, uh, I always kind of had small kind of business ideas and things next to uh, next to my uh, education. So I always uh, really liked that.
0: I see. So it's kind of like you had been doing it so much that you really understood that you liked it and you wanted to keep doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was always talking about it. I was always yeah. talking about, oh, I'm gonna start my own company Going to start my own company. And then uh, everyone was saying like, yeah, one day he's really gonna be a millionaire because he's always talking about starting his own company. Oh, so then after a while, I just got kind of swooped up at this, uh, uh, IT company. So I was just working there as a, as a software developer and slowly more as kind of an artificial intelligence, uh, developer. But, uh, and then after a while, really, uh, I, I kind of got more, uh, customers and people were asking me like, can you build this for me? Can you build this for me? And they were paying way more. Mm. Then the company was paying me. So I mm. said, uh, bye guys, I'm starting my own company. Yes. And then uh, and then uh, slowly I got more, uh, more uh, assignments, more clients, and then uh, building more and more stuff.
0: I see very impressive because it's pretty rare to see, I think with people that, uh, at least in my experience, it's pretty rare to see with people who are in like the psychology and the neuroscience and brain sciences. I was like one of the only people who was interested in business, in my class. Uh, yeah. Want to be, everybody wanted to be either a doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, or they were just studying it because they didn't know what else to study. So it's pretty rare, I think, to uh, both have well, that uh, interest and keep pursuing it.
1: That's not in uh, not in my uh, faculty. So there, I think, uh, I think half the half the professors there have their own company next to the. Really. Next to the yeah yeah yeah. So everyone has their own company there. Yeah yeah. That's interesting. It's very, uh, it's very, uh, entrepreneurial minded.
0: Yeah, It sounds like it. Okay. So, uh, while we're on the topic of the, uh, your academic environment, uh, so you did your undergrad, what made you want to, uh, go on and do your master's and PhD, was there something you really liked about the program? Cause it sounds like you have probably gotten a lot out of that program.
1: Yeah. First I did my bachelor's in brain and cognition. And then I did the research master in brain and cognition, and actually you need kind of to have high grades for it. And you need to be, uh, as like, there's, uh, 500 people each year doing psychology and maybe 30 or 50 people each year, uh, being allowed into the research master.
0: I see. Let me uh, ask you so, uh, another question about that. Yeah. Uh, this maybe sounds like something that will be, would be unfamiliar to a lot of people. So it sounds like you did a, a master's. And then there's a separate research masters. Is that correct?
1: No, the, the normal masters is one year and the mm-hmm. research must masters is, uh, more difficult than mm-hmm. is, uh, two
0: years. I see. Now, is that a so program you did after the masters?
1: Uh, no, no, no. It's instead of the masters. Okay, so I it's see. like, uh, a, a masters for the, for the smart kids.
0: I see. Yeah, of course.
1: And, uh, and I really like that way more because I was always, already doing subjects from the research masters because uh, subjects were just way nicer. It was uh, more complex and more uh, interesting for me. So uh, it was really a
0: natural choice for me to do. I Nice. So it sounds like it was a relatively, based on what was happening, it sounds like it was a relatively easy, simple decision for you to say, okay, let's keep going.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and then uh, my PhD, I, I uh, did my PhD next to working as a software developer. So uh, I only did it two days a week, and uh, so I was already working. But yeah, it's, yeah, I was always—it was a little bit much because I was always uh, working, and then I was doing my PhD, and then I was interested in starting my own company. So I was always so doing yeah. a lot of side projects. I so uh, I got a little bit more relaxed when I started making enough money with my side projects that I could uh, kind of just focus on research and, uh,
0: and, uh, company. I see. Yeah. We'll have to talk about if time permits, we'll have to talk about your time management systems because that sounds like a lot <laughs> to be doing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: so I, uh, PhD. Uh, are you currently in the per- postdoc or are you, uh, have you finish the postdoc?
1: Well, I'm actually kind of in between, like, I still need to finish the last bits of my PhD and I already started with a uh, postdoc Well, you can't really call it a postdoc because I still need the official, uh, diploma. But now with time management, it is a little bit uh, because I kind of, I used to have like certain days for the university and now those days I'm already doing my postdoc Mm. and now in the weekends and the evenings I have to finish my PhD. So it is a little bit, uh, I will be really happy when I uh, finish my PhD and get my weekends back. So that's uh, for time management. Yeah, it is, uh, it is, uh, it's easier just to do one thing. If, of you, course. if you want to, if you want yeah, it's hard, to it's hard do, one do thing, time I mean, management good, you don't do what I do.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to do one thing. Well, if you're doing th- three things, it's yeah, the complexity.
1: I do think it's, I always think that I'm really glad that, uh, that when I just started, uh, that I always kind of did work and university, and my own projects at the same time, because I kind of always did it. I worked two days next to the university. And in the university, I always had also my own uh, startups. Yes. Uh, So I kind of always kind of did that. And I think because I did so many things at the same times all the time, it was really difficult. And it was really, uh, it was really uh, difficult to, to do it. But I also, it also taught me how to do it a little bit. So I did get used to it. And then when you have your own company, you always have like a lot of clients at the same time, a lot of projects at the same time. And you're always, uh, like, you don't have to do all of them yourself, but you all have to have them all in your head at the same time, kind of, uh, all the different, uh, deadlines of all the different projects. So I yeah. think it did, uh, did help me to kind of, yeah, not pick the easy path, but, uh, pick a little bit more difficult path and kind of, uh, learn some skills along the way.
0: I see. Yeah. It's good to hear that because, uh. You are 12 years older than me and one thing i've always thought about i think from a young age is well if i can pick between doing the easy thing and the hard thing that may or may not work uh, i think if you keep doing the hard things eventually you're going to get a skill uh, for doing harder things so then those hard things become easier but if you just do the easy thing then you'll do the easy thing but you'll never get good at doing the hard things. yeah it's
1: also if if it's also doing things that you're passionate about Because some things, they may not be super useful, but you're really passionate about them. Mm -hmm. And that makes you uh, put in a lot more effort. And so then you will progress a lot faster because you just have so much more energy to do that thing. And then maybe it's not that useful right away, but uh, you need a lot of skills to... One of the examples, I think, is uh, quantum computers. There's so much money thrown into developing quantum computers? And are they actually that useful? And there's almost no progress. But I think that so many people are so like magically attracted to the idea of quantum computers, and they're willing to invest so much time and energy in it. And there's so many kind of other techniques uh, uh, that you need to develop, or oh, you need to develop all kind of new tools and all kind of new systems and stuff. So I think so much technology kind of not even that related to quantum computers will come out of those very passionate people just spend so much time into solving that, maybe a little bit useless problem, but, uh, there's just so much, uh, so much obstacles they overcome along the way.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we're probably seeing something similar when it comes to AI and machine learning, because I think there was kind of like a, well, at least felt like a dark age Uh, up until relatively recently when we've been talking about AI and machine learning for, for decades, since like the sixties, we haven't seen that much uh, when it comes to utility until I'd say relatively recently. Uh, But now we've got things like chat GPT and these programs that can write copy for you or make images for you. It's kind of like there was a, an explosion, so to speak in, in utility, but that only came because there were people who were working so hard and so passionately on it, even in the face of a, not knowing what was ahead of them, so to speak. Yeah, I think, yeah. Thing makes sense,
1: and probably also I think a lot of it is also funded because for to to enable self driving cars. Yes, because uh, the yeah a lot of those a lot of those AI companies are really financed to get self driving cars, and we know like once we have self driving cars, every car company will want it. It's going to be a billion uh, dollar industry. Yes. So I think a lot of those techniques are just developed also for
0: maybe to sell them to self-driving cars. Yes, of course. Now, on the uh, the postdoc program, when I was looking at your LinkedIn, it looks like it's in computational biology. Is that right?
1: Yeah, cellular biology and computational neuroscience. I see. I see. But so... I do I do mostly the computational neuroscience uh, mm-hmm. part. So I build a network, and but I work in a team that also... Um, kind of uh, slice open the uh, rats. It's not really my uh, favorite thing to do. Yeah. But uh, uh, so so I'm not really the cellular biology, m- mostly part of that team. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if it, I'm really interested in uh, cellular biology because uh, if you want to create the brain, you have to first see how it works in the so I always think that computational biology, uh, computational neuroscience, is building an interactive map of the brain.
0: Yes.
1: So uh, you can say like, oh, this is how the brain works. This is how it learns. This is how it, and it's a lot of. There's a lot of theories how the brain learns, how the brain does this. But then Richard Feynman, uh, he always said, you only understand something if you can build it. And a lot of those Mm. things that they say, this is how the brain works. If you put them in neurons in a computer actually does nothing. Yes. (laughs) So then if you say like, okay, we investigate everything, how all the neurons work, and now we know really everything about it. And we build it in the computer and it also works just like the actual brain. So that's the final proof that, yeah, you find, you found the way that it works and you're not just like, building a theory that you can never uh, prove. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but so to build those networks, you really have to study the neurons and the connectivity between the mm-hmm. neurons and all the chemistry and all the uh, ion channels and everything how the cells work and grow. So a lot of times I'm just reading about how neurons work and how they grow and how cells work. And So, so a big part of recreating the brain is uh, studying Uh, cells.
0: I see. See, this sounds pretty ambitious.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, Well, it's, uh, it's a, a lot of, a lot of, uh, studying how neurons work is also kind of hobby interest and how cells work. But, uh, so yeah, you don't need every little detail for the, for, for it to work actually it's also dependent on what scale you build the brain. So yes. if you if you want to build a model of uh, twenty neurons, you will mm-hmm. want to have every detail of those neurons correct. Yes, but we're usually building uh, neural networks with uh, at least a couple of thousand neurons, mm. and then you're not focusing that much on the details. You're more focusing on uh, learning algorithms and on, uh, on different kind of different types of spiking neurons. So uh, I then see. you. Yeah, then we kind of look into um, uh, what brain areas, have, which type of neurons with which type of spiking properties. And then we try to get the exact the same uh, amount of uh, this type of neuron, that type of neuron, and kind of get the exact same mix that you find in the brain and try to wire them in the same proportions that you find in the brain. So that's kind of how we like slowly try to recreate the, the brain as uh as close as we can, but it's always, you always have to pick a certain, uh, zoom level. So you, so the, for instance, uh, chat GPT, it is a huge, 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 uh, network. Yes. And you could say, yeah, that's the biggest neural network that we build really close to how the brain works. But the neurons in that network are so oversimplified that you might, are they still neurons? They're like, they're basically a dot matrix multiplication. And yeah. that's about how close we still are to neurons. So yeah, it is. They also have connections and weights, but it's it's more. They're ne- they're looking more into how can we still keep kind of the concept of neurons, but make them as close to how the GPUs work instead of how close to the how the brain works. I so uh, it's. You you can make a huge network, but then you have to really build it so the GPU is happy about it. And hey, uh, If what you're you might make... want
0: to be taking notes. I want to take some notes right now. But go on.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> for the listeners, you might want to take some notes. <laughs> so go on. So we were talking about how talking about the from the GPUs.
1: Yeah. So now I I'm um, I'm building uh, two neural networks, and one is a spiking neural network. So then actually, uh, we have a thousand iterations per second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, so we have one time step every millisecond. And if you want to show the network, for instance, one image, you will show it for one second and then you have a thousand time steps. Then the other network, uh, we oversimplify, we wait, not oversimplify. We simplify the neurons a little bit more. We say, well, they don't have spikes. They don't have more or fewer spikes, but they have just one value. So then you don't need to show the image for a thousand iterations. You just show it once, calculate the network. So, uh, so the spiking neural network is a thousand times heavier for the for the computer to simulate than the a little bit more kind of a um, little bit more uh, simplified version of the brain that's still kind of realistic, but for this, for the spike neural network, we are, for instance, very interested in different, uh, brain waves that we simulate like theta waves, uh, are simulating theta waves, uh, mainly, and you cannot simulate them if you don't have spiking, uh, neurons. So for some things, if you want to simulate them, you have to have spiking neural networks. Yes. But, um, uh, yeah, but if you if you just say, okay, they, we just take the average of spikes in uh, in 100 milliseconds and we just give it a value. Then it's a way easier to calculate for the computer. So then you can create a thousand times more neurons on the same uh, computer hardware. And uh, then, for instance, in the network, I'm simulating the the connections, they can move, they can detach, attach, and they can move around. And that's kind of how we learn in the brain is the connections constantly, the axons constantly attach, and they detach, and they try to find a better spot. And then after a while, that kind of, uh, so that's how the so that's how the network learns is that axons go into different places and form connections there with a synapse with a certain weight. And for instance, for networks like ChatGPT, they don't have axons that can move. They just have things connected in a in a kind of uh, small world type of way. So if you let the axons move for a long time, they will organize in a certain way to don't be too long. And then they, you have kind of, so in ChatGPT, they just say like, okay, we're just gonna hard code that Uh, architecture, and we're going to also make them an exact kind of uh, matrix uh, matrices that uh, is uh, lightest for the GPU to calculate. And then we're not going to move the axons. Just these things are connected. And then we only uh, change the weights of the synapses. So that's already like uh, a little bit uh, simplification. Yes. And uh, then, for instance, in the brain, if you uh, have a you have a learning rule, and in the brain, the neurons don't know the values of the other neurons. So if the neuron wants to learn, it can it only knows about itself. So it can only uh, use local information. Yes. Uh, But you can train a network way faster, more efficiently. If you just have it in a computer and well, you know, the value of every neuron, you know, the value of every weight. Yes. So you just have a teacher signal that uh, knows the state of the whole network. It knows the wrong answer and the right answer. It, like, we we don't know the wrong and the right answer. We maybe after 10 minutes, we find out like, oh, we hurt ourselves, but we don't, not every millisecond we get like, oh, they were good. this was bad. This was good. This was 98% good. Or this was uh, at the, so, uh, so they're kind of, you're kind of cheating. Yes. With uh, networks like ChatGPT and optimizing it, especially mostly for the GPU. And that's why you can, uh, kind of get higher performance, but it's not a good, uh, comp it's not for computational neuroscience. We would say like, yeah, it is kind of cool that we have these big neural networks, but they're not models of
0: the brain, the brain. Yeah. So it's kind of like We're, we ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> that's what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like, okay we uh, looked at birds and we build a jet fighter. Yes. But we don't know how uh, wings work. We don't nice. know how feathers work. We don't don't know how the flapping mechanism works. And then like someone else like, yeah, I built a propeller. And uh, yeah, it flies, it's kind of based also on like air. And... But uh, yeah, so, so the, the, the neural networks you see now are mostly just kind of uh, jet engines. Yeah. and uh and in computational neuroscience you really try to recreate uh, a bird basically with feathers and, and how find out how birds can fly and not how fast we can fly if we just uh can use anything we want gpu clusters and and uh like a 16 million uh dollar training budget and uh Train it on uh, the whole internet. I don't think any kid is trained on the whole internet. Yes, <laughs> just, <of> uh... <laughs> so, uh, Actually, yeah, it's just so. I see. That's a very so good that's... metaphor.
0: That the birds versus planes is a very good metaphor. Uh, this is awesome. So for the people who are like a uh, in neuroscience and psychology, if you're listening right now, this you're hearing firsthand uh, the utility of neuroscience to uh, AI and machine learning. All right. Now, uh, with that said, uh, I might have some more questions about your. Um, about your academic program later. Uh, for now, let's move on to uh, Kexu in your business. So uh, you started Kexu in 2020. Uh, so how did you discover that opportunity, uh, like that business opportunity?
1: Yeah, so actually I always had the company Kexu mm. from, uh, I, I always had it, but I just, uh, it was just uh, kind of a side project. And then slowly, it, Got bigger and bigger, and now we have uh, let's say now we have four employees, Mm -hmm. three full time, one part time, and a couple of freelance uh, people. So now it's really starting to uh, to take off, and uh, but it's yeah, it's kind of like I always I always did it as a hobby, and then uh, when I start when I Kind of seriously, full time. Did uh, my company I just uh, still had the same uh, name, and then we just kept going with it? And, uh, and uh, so, growing. you mean that
0: Kexu was Kexu always the eye tracking business, or was it something else, and then you pivoted to the eye tracking?
1: Yeah, it was just the name of the company. I see. It was just yeah. uh, uh, it was, and and how and the it, it was also kind of a random. It was a, a random name at first. Yes. So how I got. <laughs> I made the name is like uh, my uh, my sister's boyfriend. He uh, he had the company Adyen, mm. and it's one of the biggest payments providers in the world now. But at that time, it was kind of a small company. There were sixty employees. Yes, and uh, and he was talking about how he got the name Adyen, and he said like, "Yeah, I have different explanations for it, but." A lot of times I just say like, uh, it's the only.com, uh, domain name with five letters that was left. I see. So I thought like, oh, I also want to need a name for a company that's kind of a, kind of a fun idea. So hmm. like the day after I made a Python script that can, that could, uh, generate five letter words. Yes. Like it had uh, consonants and vowels and then so just things that are kind of could be words. Yes. And, uh, then, um, uh, then I checked if there had a .com name uh, yeah. available, and I checked if it had zero uh, Google search results mm. because I wanted—I didn't want to spend money on ads. Just like yeah. for a lot of companies, they have to sp- have to buy AdWords for their own brand name yeah. because they have such a common name. And I thought like, okay, I just want something that has zero uh, search results. So I think actually is a word that means nothing in there's no language that has the word Kexu because there were zero, zero Google hits on a five-letter word with a .com no available. So that's, uh, that's kind of the story how we, uh, how we got that name.
0: I see. So that's a unique name to come up with. So let's talk about what Kexu is doing now. Uh, so what is Kexu mainly focused on now? Hmm.
1: So now we, we uh, build uh, AI, mostly computer vision for companies but uh we also have our own uh product and that's really the thing we're working on uh, most and uh there's this eye tracker so here this is dev mm. version you can see there's a little bit of paper here because the camera is a little bit too low so then <laughs> and there's like a unprotected cable here but this is the this is the I tracker. Oh, maybe oh, I, just, I. also have the beta version here. So this is the this is the prototype three D printed prototype for V one. It's gonna be released. In, well, I would say one month, but that's really optimistic. Like it's about one month, but probably we're gonna it's gonna be delayed a little bit. I hear you. But and before we had like here's still the the beta version. <laughs> so this is an older version that you can still see all the cameras. And this is kind of an off the shelf camera. and <laughs> Now we have a custom made camera.
0: Quite the evolution.
1: So uh, slowly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so for, uh, for a while we had, and this, this works. It has the same software, so it yes. does work. But now we made one that, uh, you don't see the electronics anymore. Yeah. And uh, and it's made in a way that we can injection mold it, so, then we, can... so we now have an order for uh, 100 of these uh, plastic uh, glasses, and we have 100 of these cameras, AI tracking cameras, under 20 frames per second, and uh, these are still off-the-shelf cameras. But... Really cool. Uh, so slowly, it's yeah, it's really yeah, it's really nice to to start with a prototype and then work, uh, work more and more and progress kind of to, uh, first we have a proof of concept. Then we had a beta version and then, uh, we got some funding for it. And then, uh, uh, now we're developing the V1 version and yeah. So for the next, uh, next two months, I'm really like if, if after two months we have the V1 version like in a in a box and uh injection molded and with uh custom electronics that we built and with software working um uh, who can just order it on the website and it will work and it will connect that that's kind of uh that's kind of the the goal for this uh first part of the year I and see. then uh, yeah if we if at the end of the year we would have sold, uh, 100 of the V one eye tracking glasses. Then I would be, uh, then I would consider it a successful launch of the first, uh, first, first, uh, eye tracker. I, I see. think after that, it will be, will be easier because like there's for this eye tracker to do so much. So everything was new. We, uh, we got a industrial designer. We're I got custom electronics. I never did that before. I never uh, did, uh, did plastic design uh, things. Now we now we have two industrial designers. So if we if we would create another version of the eye tracking glasses, we can just say like, Okay, we want uh, this now. But we also had to find them uh, we had to find uh, silver developers that were uh, capable. We uh, I, Silver building a software and an app that was, I already did that before. So that, uh, that is relatively easy for me, but, uh, getting an office, hiring people, contracts, uh, giving people stock options and everything is, there's so many new, new things that you have to, uh, that you have to learn when you start a company, it's not only the product development. Yeah. And also like. The product development there's uh, from a proof concept to a beta that's already a huge step and then from a beta then you think like a beta version is almost finished but actually to go from a beta version to a V1 that's uh, super difficult. there's just so many details that you need to get right and uh, and then uh, I think we're gonna have so so this year this year we want to release the v1. And then I think we're gonna have whole other problems also with logistics and like, if we sell 100 a month, that's gonna be a total new skill to yep. learn and to hire people for and to implement and to get kind of systems going and uh, get marketing channels. And uh, so, yeah, it's really, you, you really have to learn a lot of new skills to, uh, to, uh, create, a create a hardware product.
0: Yes, of course. This sounds pretty cool. And then when it came to the, the funding, what did that look like? So did you self fund it to start and then you got funding after that? We kind
1: of, uh, built, uh, uh, a prototype version of the eye tracker. Yes. And then I showed it to a company that wanted to, uh, get into eye tracking. Yes. And then they, uh, said like okay, you already got really far with this and, uh, we want to add eye tracking to our, uh, product lineup. And then we, they said like, yeah, we can, uh, we, we, we could just pay you for the eye trackers, but actually what you probably need as a company is just some money now before it's finished to develop it, uh, further. So, uh, basically they said like, uh, here's some money and, uh, finish it. And then once it's finished, we will add it to our, uh, product lineup and then we will start to, uh, make money from it. Nice. So that's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they, guessed that uh, they, they trusted that we could build it Yes. and, um. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very confident also that we did build it that now. Yeah, it is, it is all the, all the difficult stuff is, uh, is, uh, finished now. So we got, uh, we got custom electronics. It works. We've got, uh, AI that's accurate enough. We got post-process software. You can do a whole experiment and, um, yeah, it works. It connects it's everything works. So, uh, so I'm very confident that, uh, that we can uh, deliver on that, uh, investment. So yeah, I'm happy with that, but now that, yeah, it's a still a step to uh, really get it into the stores. And like I said, there's so many details, like for instance, one, one thing we had is we, uh, we updated the, the login screen and, and, uh, this is really a really stupid mistake, but. Uh, yeah, we're three developers and sometimes we don't know who is doing what and then we updated the login screen to make it a little bit more efficient. And then people were complaining that they couldn't, uh, use the website and they were sending pictures and after a while we realized that if you put the wrong password, (laughs) it would just go to the next screen, uh, but you wouldn't be logged in. So all the API calls would fail. Mm. So for uh, for one month, we didn't know that if you just put the wrong password, it would not give you an error message, which is, just... but on our computers, we were always logged in. We had a uh, password manager, so it would always fill in the correct password. So we, we never even noticed uh, ourselves. Yeah. So all those things like to, yeah, to build... For instance, one of the, one of the one of the hundreds of things that we built to make it more stable is uh, that I think is really funny, and I think uh, other companies should do this too because it is really uh, really uh, nice. Is uh, that we have uh, uh, a chatbot that checks if all our servers are online, mm. and uh, then it posts in our Slack channel if the servers are online. Yes, but it posts uh, a random GIF of so of success if they're online yes. or of burning buildings and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff when they're offline. So right. sometimes when we're deploying the server and it's like we take it down and we put it back up and then it's offline for one minute, then we get like 10 Slack messages with explosions and yep. burning buildings and people screaming, oh no, I'm running away. Well, it's good so, you have
0: systems in place to even uh, keep track of that so that you guys can get to it quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, keeping a yeah. time in That's mind, are, super you difficult. To, are you able to go a little bit past, it's about 4.50, are you able to go a little bit past 5 p.m. your time?
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Okay. just want to make sure
0: we're keeping uh, well on your schedule. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: no, this is my final uh, final
0: uh, thing for the day. Okay, great. All right, and then uh, since we've got some time, uh, I'm a little bit curious about uh, the Netherlands uh, because I know, uh, because uh, my grandmother's German, and then I took German, through high school and also in college. So I know a lot about uh, German culture and a little bit about other Germanic cultures where they're very uh, actually risk averse. They're not very interested. They're often, there's a cat in the background. You might hear the cat meowing. (laughs) They're often not interested in like entrepreneurship or business. Sometimes they are, but they're often risk averse, so to speak. Uh, Is it somewhat similar in the Netherlands? But it sounds like you, you are meeting a lot of entrepreneurs just in your program alone.
1: Yeah, I think it's totally the opposite. I think there's so many uh, businesses in uh, Holland, mm. and I think actually it's like uh, you live in the US, probably, right? You live in the US, and in the in the US, you can uh, companies can just uh, fire you if they say like, okay, we don't need this many people, we fire some employees. Yes, and in Holland, you cannot do that, mm-hmm. and actually, it's so it's so strict with companies having to apply to so many rules that actually the the hourly pay really goes down a lot because like they're protecting the employees, but they are a little bit overprotecting them. And so a lot of uh, a lot of employees actually just say like, well, I don't need all those protections. I just take my chance that I won't be in the hospital. I'm young and uh If I am uh, in the hospital, I'm just going to sell my house. But what are the chances that that will ever happen? Or my wife also works or in the worst, worst case, she can. And, and then they just become self-employed and they, they are just, they, they, they become freelancer, a freelancer. Uh, So in the Netherlands, a lot of people are freelancers.
0: Hmm.
1: So, so really, really a lot. Here's one more
0: question. So uh, on. So if you're a freelancer, well, I don't know if people, Americans always make fun of the, their own healthcare system. Uh, like when you're a freelancer in the U S or you're self-employed, uh, one reason so many people have regular jobs is because the jobs imply health insurance. Uh, but it sounds like you guys have like some sort of universal health care, where even if you are self-employed or a freelancer, you have. Yeah, it's the same. Insurance.
1: Uh, yeah, the, the, the only thing is uh, when you're, when you're not capable to work anymore. Then the company has to, uh, pay, uh, for three years or something, they have to pay that you still get 70% of your salary or something. I don't know exactly the numbers, but, but, uh, the company is kind of, if they hire you, they're responsible. If you get sick and you can't work anymore, then for two years or something, they will have to pay your, uh, 70% of your salary or something, uh, something like that. And right. when you, when you become a freelancer. You don't have that. So if you become sick, well, the the hospital bill is paid, but you can, but if you cannot work for one year, then you just don't have income for one year. So that's the main problem. Mm. Uh, but now, uh, now you're kind of, they make more laws that you are forced to get an insurance for that. If you are, if you are a freelancer
0: I see that makes so, sense. I didn't want to stay so, too long. Ago. I was just curious from like an entrepreneurial standpoint because that, that holds back a lot of entrepreneurs in the US as they're afraid of losing their health insurance.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't have that in Holland. I see. No. And then No, you you do have to get your own insurance, but it's yeah. only an insurance if you are not able to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And many people say like, well, if I'm not able to work anymore, I'm also not gonna take trips to uh, Bali and stuff like that. So then I'll be fine if I, if I don't, so, uh, so most people really think like that. So they, they, they have a savings account in case that happens,
0: but, but, uh, I think like, the well. There's one of the cats, she keeps making noise in the background. She wants to play. Mm. I'm listening.
1: Nice. Nice. Yeah. So healthcare is, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I would say it's way cheaper in, uh, Holland, but it's more like, but it is really expensive. Like I think like one third of all tax money goes to
0: healthcare, Yes.
1: but they like, they're just forcing everyone to make the, the, the sensible, uh, and the like people are richer, pay more and people are, uh pays pays so much. Of course, so, yeah. was curious
0: uh, about that. So now moving on to I don't want to <laughs> have you drone on about healthcare because that's not the main topic here. Um so yeah, it's more about
1: to... entrepreneur. Uh yeah. yeah, so so I think like I, I think in the in the in Holland actually they they have two systems and it's a little bit uh, the socialist system and a little bit the US system. Yes. And um, in the in the In a more socialist system, the employee is protected by the law really a lot. So that's also why here people are really afraid to hire people Mm. because you're not allowed to fire them. If they get sick, you have to pay them. And uh, so it's it's more it's more risky to hire people in Holland. Yes. But on the other hand, it's so it's so protected. They're just going to they're just going to calculate the cost back into Paying the employees less, basically. Mm. So a lot of people just think like, okay, I don't need the uh, protection. I'm just gonna be self-employed, and oh, then you, yeah, then you get way higher pay. Yes. Ab- about really twice as much, and mm. then it's more kind of on par with. Uh, then it basically becomes almost the same as a uh, system in the U.S.
0: I see. That makes some sense. Now, uh, I was just curious for that because I think some people might be interested in the systems that allow and support entrepreneurship. So that's why I was interested in that. Now, on the topic of let's move on to AI and machine learning a little bit more. We talked about uh, some of what you're doing. Uh, Let's talk about the future, uh, like what you're seeing when it comes to the future of AI and ML and how neuroscience might uh, play play along with that or influence that.
1: Yeah, I, I have a, a hope, <laughs> yes. kind of like, I don't know if this is going to work this way. Mm. But it would be cool if, like, if um, for instance, in, in uh, neuroscience, if you build neural networks, the neurons are only allowed to know their own state. Mm. And um, in, the, in the brain, the, not every neuron knows the other state of all the other neurons. Yeah. So, uh, so it has to have a learning algorithm that only relies on the local state of the neuron. Yes. And in, um, in AI, you have more like you need some kind of uh, global uh, state system. So it's also I, uh, the global stage is probably way more efficient, but it will probably also reach a kind of tipping point where uh, it's more efficient to have local, lo- only local knowledge, because you can scale further. You can scale with more, uh, more different machines. You can, uh, they don't have to be machines. Don't have to have a super fast connection between them. They don't need to necessarily be linked. They can just once in a while update their state so they can. So I think after a certain scale and also our brain is obviously a way bigger scale than even the biggest artificial neural networks. Then after a certain scale, you will have to kind of get more local, locally focused uh, learning algorithms. Mm. So, so maybe, but I don't know, maybe they'll just solve it, or maybe they'll just uh, connect it with uh, super intense uh, data and they will, or, or, or maybe just find some kind of halfway solution. But it could be that after a while, you will, it, it, the network will become too big. And then it's uh, then if you, if you build it more like the brain, it can be more modular and it can, uh, have fewer, uh, connections between different, uh, parts actually of the, of the network. So then in theory, that would maybe allow you to build a way bigger network that would ever be possible with current, uh, current machine learning algorithms. So, so I think like after a while, you're gonna hit like, uh, spot where you can't really make them any bigger anymore. And then if you would make them like 10 times bigger. So if you you would build the same network with only local learning rules, it would, it would perform worse Mm -hmm. because it's obviously kind of cheating that, you know, all the information everywhere, but after a while you're going to hit a kind of a, a wall and you can't scale it anymore. And then with only local information, you can scale it like maybe 10 times bigger. And then even though it is less efficient way to teach neural network, it's gonna, uh, be better overall because it's just 10 times bigger. Yes. So that's maybe something that, uh, that computational neuroscience, because you look, you have to build local learning rules because that's how the brain works. And then maybe someday that will be taken from computational neuroscience into actual neural network to get that tenfold uh, skill increase and to get behind that kind of barrier of a certain uh, maximum skill uh, artificial neural network.
0: I see. Now, there are a lot of people who are in my audience that are either neuroscience students, psychology students, either an undergraduate or grad school, or some of them are psychiatrists. So for the people who might be in school, in the, the younger folks, uh, do you have any advice for them, like when it comes to like if they're interested in neurotech or AI and ML or, uh, things like what you do, you have any recommendations for them? Like what maybe they should study in school or what they should do on the uh, side, if they want to work in neurotech or something like that.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, the, the real difference, I, I'm doing neural networks for a really long time. Yeah. So what I, uh, I always build my own neural networks mm-hmm. and, um, And right now what you see is they just, everyone just downloads torch or TensorFlow and then builds new things with torch or TensorFlow, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but that's really out of the 500 ways to build a neural network, uh, torch and TensorFlow uh, are made for one type of neural network. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's kind of the one that won the race. But if you really want to, if you really want to investigate new, if you, if you want to, if you want to discover anything new, you're not going to discover it by creating another network in Torch because you kind of just do the same thing, but it's very slightly different. So I think it's also valuable to, to not only just copy a GitHub repository with another Torch network or create another Torch network, but with Six layers instead of four, or maybe because because you're just gonna kind of be because you're in the kind of yeah if you if you're just gonna uh, use that kind of building blocks you're just gonna build the same things all the time, and you won't discover really anything kind of really innovative. So I think so. so it is nice also just to try to build your own uh, neural networks mm-hmm. and uh, before you really needed the GPU accelerated and CUDA cores and stuff like that. But right now, if you if you run the the neural networks that kind of started the deep learning revolution right now, CPUs are so fast and you could even they if you would run the same network on a CPU now on a decent computer, you would. It would still probably be faster than uh, when they build it on the GPU then. So it's not that necessary also anymore to get it that performant if you just want to build a network just to try out a new learning rule or just try out a new, new, uh, maybe evolutionary algorithms. There's a lot of evolutionary algorithms that uh, are also ways to train networks. Uh, There's a lot of different... There's a lot of different ways to build neural networks. And actually now 99.99% is just one way to do it. So yes. uh, there's also a lot of other uh, things to explore.
0: Yeah, of course, that makes sense. I feel like I'm seeing something similar uh, when it comes to all these these platforms that now they create text copy or they create images. They're all either using GPT or they're using Dolly. I mean, they're using GPT-3 or Dolly or open AI system, but they're all using the same system. So it can be hard to then differentiate yeah. because they're all using the same foundation.
1: And, and, uh, GPT is also using the same thing, but then just way bigger or more expensive yeah. hardware. So yeah. it's also just like the same, same, exactly the same, but then way bigger. And yeah. then they did find some more tricks to train these really huge networks. Yeah.
0: But you There's were speaking of... about pretty advanced things. Uh, my question was more so for the people who aren't even there yet. For the people who ah, yeah,
1: yeah, people who yeah. are just like
0: who who just they either like neuroscience or psychology or they're like they're in their undergrad. What well, what might be some like recommendations for them about what they should consider uh, for the future?
1: Uh, what they could uh, to do or to uh, learn? Yeah, or if I they do, want to yeah. have a
0: successful career, let's say it's in neurotech. What might they want to a uh, uh, career? Consider? Yes,
1: I think I think for any career now, You need to be good at, uh, programming. Yes. So it, so any, any field you work in now, you would become better at it. If you learn Python, for instance, it's really easy to learn. Uh, Python is not so difficult as like C++ or something. Anyone can uh, learn Python, but if you, if you learn Python, you're just gonna be able to do, uh, way more in any field. If if you do economics and you learn Python, you're going to be way better at it. If you do psychology, you learn Python, you're going to be way better. If you, yeah, any, almost anything now you can benefit from being able to build some kind of simple scripts. And, uh, so, uh, so I would recommend, even if you are really in, uh, humanitarian sciences to also kind of take a side course of uh, Python, just to be able to, uh, yeah, it's it's so powerful. You can just, uh, yeah, you can you can do so much more, and, and uh, yeah, really any any fields can benefit from uh, from knowing a little bit of uh, computer programming.
0: I see. So that's Yurian's recommendation: learn code, learn how to learn how to do Python, because it's going to make you stronger. It's what it sounds like: makes you stronger. It can make you more effective. Correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Now let's move on to the fast forward. So these are just four quick questions I want to ask to uh, kind of understand more about you. And I think there are four questions that a lot of people might be curious about uh, with all of my guests and uh, especially you. Uh, So first one, (laughs) it sounds like you're doing a lot, but how many hours of sleep do you get per night? I really
1: like sleeping. I really love sleeping. So I actually sleep kind of a lot. I sleep a lot. I sleep like uh, 10 hours a day. <laughs> I really 10 hours? S- I really like sleeping.
0: So is that like the average is going to be around 10 hours per night?
1: Yeah. Really? I think so. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm I also like, uh, it's really funny because when we did uh, school assignments in the university, then uh, I would always take way more breaks than anyone else. And I was always, I would always finish way faster. Yes. So I think like, uh, you're gonna be faster if you take
0: more breaks. Of course. I said yeah, being, because I mean, being well rested, I mean, most people don't sleep enough or they, they think, oh, I got four hours of sleep and I feel fine. But then they're not, they're not fine when they're actually working because they're half asleep or they can't focus because they're not. They think they're
1: gonna get more hours in the day if they sleep less, but those hours will be so much less effective. So I think like, for me, it's really important to, to kind of say, uh, is like rest, social, uh, do social things and sports. I think those things, if you, you have to spend some hours on that, and then you're just gonna be, uh, faster in the, in the hours that you, and more kind of more focused.
0: Okay. So the, so, I wasn't so ask think... that, that leads to this next question. Well, go on where you yeah. were you gonna say, go on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I think like t- sleep uh, to sleep less and get more hours in the day. I I think like it it you. I think you can only focus for maybe four or six hours a day. Yes. And if you can focus for four hours or focus for six hours, I think it's depending on if you do a lot of sports, if you do have a lot of social things, if you get enough sleep. So that will really say like, oh, you can focus four hours or six hours. So if, if you live really healthily, then you can focus for six hours. If you if you don't sleep enough, you can focus for four hours.
0: I see. See, this is, this is really good. Cool. I, I was not expecting you to say seven. So that leads to my next question, which I wasn't going to ask. But uh, how often do you exercise? Because it does look like you're in, in good shape. So do you make a lot oh, of time for exercise?
1: <laughs> yeah, I play uh, tennis and I uh, go to the gym. But uh, not really extreme. It's uh, just, uh I, I, I do. Uh, I do try to not eat sugar. I, so I always have like this. Uh, I think it's the greatest invention. Zero sugar. Uh, I think like uh, can have the best of both worlds and yeah. we can uh, have that nice taste of uh, sugar and we cannot like be trapped like the like the moth in the in the environment that suddenly has a light bulb somewhere. Nice. <laughs> Interesting. So I think this that's
0: a really good invention. You do 10 hours of sleep and you still have time to, you make some time to do some exercise because obviously, you're. I don't know if it's just the net, most Americans are fat. So, I mean, maybe you're probably like the average, <laughs> average uh, healthiness. Uh, for,
1: yeah, but that's also, that's because like I've been to the United States and that's just, if you go to, there's just no healthy food there.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's the problem. They, nice. the, the food, it's the, and also the kind of the, 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 attitude towards how important healthy food is. So I think mm-hmm. like here, um, here you, uh, to eat sugar, things with sugar for breakfast is really like, then you're really like messing yourself up. Oh yeah. It's, it's and, such a common thing in
0: America. I don't want to Yeah. It the much, whole, but, yeah.
1: the whole image there is like, yeah, that's kind of normal. Everyone does yeah, it. Yeah.
0: People eat like cereal, sugary cereal or pancakes or, or strudels yeah. <laughs> for breakfast here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. If I'm in the U.S., I also do that. I think it's like super nice. But yeah. in in Holland, if you would do that, everyone will like go will look at you like, "What are you doing? You're yeah. that's so unhealthy." It's and right. not not that they think like, oh, you are going to be fat?" But it's like, no, that's super unhealthy. Yeah, of course. And also, if I I had uh, friends uh, from the United States here, if I would eat dinner at them, they didn't have uh, vegetables with their dinner, and for dutch people is really to eat dinner without vegetables is r- really like uh, if you do that for a week you're gonna die basically that's what they think yeah. here like if you if you if you wouldn't eat vegetables for one month they will think like oh then you're gonna probably be in the hospital and in the united states i don't think it's it's like either you're a health freak and you eat only vegetables yeah or you don't uh, care about it so it's like uh it's uh yeah, I think it's just a whole, uh, yeah. And, and all the, all the supermarkets are like that. So it's only vegetables and fruit everywhere. And, uh, and, uh, almost no sugar and salt. And then I was in the U S and I tried to eat something with, tried to find something that was not fat, sugar, or uh, salty. And I was looking for two hours and then I gave up <laughs> and I just
0: got uh, a donut or something. Right. But You're it's just first. Uh, yeah. stay healthy, stay healthy,
1: stay wealthy. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think you need to be uh, super healthy for. Uh, well, you are compared. To I, most think just, uh, I think it's just. I think it's just environment. Like also yeah. for if I, I never, I if I have chocolate in my uh, in my uh, room, then I will eat it. As some, at okay. a certain point, I will be hungry, and I will be too lazy to go to the store, and I will eat the chocolate yeah and then I'll become fat. so what I do is like I never keep chocolate in the house, but I put fruit everywhere, so then i'm mm. when I'm hungry, I'm too lazy to go to the store I have to eat that fruit oh, and yeah. I think like on a way bigger scale it's kind of the same uh, in, the other uh Holland, but I think like holland Holland is one of the of the weird countries that are super skinny, so I think like all the so also all the, the countries country? around us are really fat and Every, everyone's getting fatter. But uh, yeah, I think there's a whole this. Uh, uh, yeah, everyone is really, um, really the, all the parents always say like, No, you have to eat at least one fruit uh, a day and you have to eat vegetables. And no, you, you can have like one Coca Cola each week and that is like a special occasion. and. It's just a whole. Uh, everyone, everyone is uh, thought like that. So
0: I think see, that's this it. is why the Dutch are so healthy and also so tall. Cause you guys have the average, the highest uh, average height of any country. So now I'm seeing, I'm seeing why. Okay. Yeah, so and, on and o-
1: only uh, in the seventies or something, the people in the U.S. were taller than uh, in uh, Holland.
0: Yes. All right. And then so, the next question I have is, uh, let's move on to this one. Uh, sometimes people like people often like to ask, "What's your favorite book?" Because, but. A lot of people don't have one favorite book. So let's say you're one or two favorite books that you like a lot that were very influential. If there's uh, one, one of prime. the
1: books that I always recommend to everyone because no, because, because there's a lot of like, ah, uh, the 10,000 hour rules and uh, all the same uh, books. But yeah. one of the books I really recommend to everyone is the undercover economist.
0: Undercover economist.
1: And almost no one knows about it, but it's r- super interesting. And it's, uh, it explains all kind of very, uh, it explains economy that it's nice for a consumer. It explains why you always have different prices of certain and why they why, for instance, some things are this price and that price. And yeah, it's super interesting Then you, you will start to look at the world really totally different and, uh, and it's also super funny to read. It's very, uh, written really nice. I see. So, uh,
0: economists. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And then next question, um, what are, uh, just give me a maximum of three. If you have just one, that's fine, but let's say a maximum of three habits you would attribute to your success.
1: Um, never giving up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's, uh, I, th- I think it's really a problem for me sometimes, but it's also a good thing.
0: I don't believe you, but go on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, so, uh, uh, yes. And yeah, I want something that contributes to my success is also, yeah, I'm, I am, I uh, am to brag a little bit, I am pretty smart. I'm really um, a really little bit, uh, I'm kind of creative and s- smart in a creative way. So there's a lot of things that no one else could build, almost no one else could build and I can, uh, build them. Yes. So, so yeah, that gives me an advantage. Yeah. I would
0: say that some people, they blunt or they mitigate their effectiveness and their intelligence because they either don't sleep enough or they eat junk food or they don't exercise. So then they wouldn't be able to act as smart as they otherwise would be. Like, there are a lot of people who are smart, but they sleep four hours per night, so, yeah. so they're dumb.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I see. Yeah, maybe. But also, use the intelligence well and maintain it. Yeah, yeah. I see. So we've got... Yeah, uh, maybe. maybe,
1: but yeah, I think also if I would just be very unhealthy, I would still just be... Uh, like, I'm also. I'm also bad at a lot of things, but that's one thing I'm good at. And I don't yeah. think all successful entrepreneurs are smart yes like some people are maybe like really good at uh reading people for instance I'm not really that good in that, but like in building uh technology and kind of getting creative mathematical solutions to uh problems that uh, I'm really uh like like uh like if you show me how you can make a neural network that can solve the Queens problem in the next week, I have built one that can solve a Sudoku puzzle. There's yeah. just like, not so many people can do that. Maybe 1% of the people could do that. Uh, so I think that gives me an advantage. That's one of the, I see.
0: So we've got um, some natural but, intelligence and also never giving and up.
1: It, yeah. And I think, but I think, and, uh, the third, uh, the third, uh, thing that is that I am really uh, engineer, like a computer nerd. Yes. But I, uh, I also really like uh, a lot of my friends are sales guys, and uh, I'm also, I'm also kind of uh, a weird combination between both worlds. Yes. So um, when I when I, at, a, at a certain point I thought, okay, I like startups, I want to work at a startup, so I'm just going to find a job at a startup. Then I looked through all the startups and they either had only engineers or only salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is that salespeople, they cannot talk to engineers and engineers, they cannot, they they don't like each other usually. And they're totally different type of people. And yeah, so you have a lot of companies that have either only engineers or only salespeople. That's at least that's what I found when I was looking for a nice startup to join. And uh, with me, I really like, I really like both. I'm like uh, super interested in mathematics and in computational neuroscience and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but a lot of my friends are uh, salespeople is uh, bragging about money and that kind of stuff. And I think like a lot of people who are interested in mathematics, they really don't like that, uh, those kind of people. So I think that's, uh, that, that also, uh, if you, if you want to start a startup, you really have to do everything. So in a bigger company, you you can really specialize a lot in one really specific thing. So uh, for instance, uh, you can do only recruitment or something, or you can do only uh, DevOps. But in yes. a startup, you really, if you start from the beginning, you really have to do everything. So then you have to really be comfortable in all kind of different environments. You, uh, talking about servers, talking about computer programming languages, but also doing recruitment, also talking to salespeople, customers, and uh, also doing the accountancy and also uh, uh, thinking about stock options, that kind of stuff. So, a lot of different uh, things. So, you have to be really all around.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you would say maybe one habit that you have that maybe others want to consider is considering the other side of skills, like considering both the hard skills, like the engineering and development, but also being considerate of the softer quote unquote skills, like communication, marketing, and sales. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily good at communication, if that's really my skill, but I do like people who are good at it. Yes. I think that's the main difference. So mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily have to do it myself, but I do hang out with those people and I do like if they're at, I do like to collaborate with them. So it I sounds like it's
0: important so, to recognize the importance of those skills and not be a uh, ignorance yeah. of those skills basically.
1: Yeah. And get kind of a group of people together with all kind of diverse skills and not just a group of only engineers or a group of only salespeople. Because it's just so much stronger team to have one engineer and one salesperson than to have two engineers or two sales uh, people. Just those, uh, the, the yeah the if you want to build uh, the strongest team, you wouldn't say like okay we're gonna build a team we're gonna have twenty engineers or we're we gonna have twenty uh, lawyers. Now you would say like okay we need, we can have 20 people okay we're going to have a couple of engineers and maybe one who, uh, or two people who are better at design and then we're going to have some sales and then maybe we're going to have a lawyer just in case like to get all the contracts really uh, really perfect and then we're going to have uh, this kind of person that kind of person so so if you if, so a lot of a lot of people really only like one type of person and they're not open-minded to, to anyone that's, uh, that thinks differently than them. Uh, so they, they just form groups with only engineers or they form groups with only salespeople or only designers. And I think if you want to start a, I think in a bigger company, that's fine, that's perfect, but in a, in a start in a small company, when you just like six people, then you really have to have all kind of different talents at the same, uh, in the same
0: group. I see. So it sounds like assemble a team of diverse skill sets. Yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, Makes sense. All right, now to wrap up, uh, if we want to find you or connect with you, where should we go?
1: I'm on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurian Schroeder. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the if I can put the name. Uh, it's a it's a really unique name. Yeah, it's Kate.
0: Uh, can you spell that for us?
1: Uh, K e x x u dot com.
0: All right, it's keksu.com. and then I'll put a link to. Yurian's LinkedIn into the uh, show notes and also a link to Kexu in the show notes. And if you want to connect with him, connect with him on LinkedIn. So Yurian, this was awesome. Thanks for joining me and sharing so much. You shared a lot of information. Thanks for uh, giving us some extra time. I really appreciate that. Uh, so thank you.
1: Yeah, it was really fun. Really nice. Uh, yeah, so thank you for the for inviting me. And uh, see you around maybe in the next podcast. Maybe in a year we'll do a follow-up and see uh, how far we uh, came in the meet
0: All right. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Sounds good.